Yes, I did walk out here without tripping. That's exciting. So, hey, uh, glad to have you here. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Element City Church. We are thrilled to have you here. So, if you happen to be new, I met a few of you uh, around here. Uh, thanks for coming and, and taking a chance on us. We've got a few people tuning in uh, at home online. I'm waving to you right now. Uh, and uh, other people checking kids in. And if you need water, if you're new, we've got water in the foyer there, restrooms down that way. If you're at home watching, you know where the restroom is, so figure it out. Um, but we are thrilled to have you here. If you happen to be new, we'd invite you to download our free church app. You can just go to your app store and type in Elements City Church, and that you can download that. And about the third tile down, when you get that, is our connection card. That's a way that we can connect around here. We do that in a couple different ways. You can either text the word hello to our phone number, text number, which is 520-340-6868. Text the word hello, there'll be a couple quick texts, we're connected, we'll walk with you in the next four or five weeks, we know it takes courage and it's kind of hard connecting to a new place, and so this way we can walk with you, you can opt out anytime, I promise we won't spam you. And then we also want to invite you to our 10 minute party, which happens in that back corner there. Uh, if you're online, you don't get to come to the party, but you could drive down here, I guess. But if you're here in the room, we've got a free gift for you back there, the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. We'd love to give to you just for stopping by and saying hi for us to hear your story a little bit. Y'all getting ready for Christmas? It is a week from today. I know that because today I'm old, and uh, today's my birthday, actually. And so, <clears throat> so yes, uh, just a few years ago, we came into existence. So I'm um, thrilled to, to be able to celebrate uh, a little bit of the Christmas season with you as we continue to move in toward that uh, and remind you about Christmas Eve services here. Uh, we're doing that in conjunction with Emmanuel uh, Baptist, and we'll be doing that here Christmas Eve, which happens to be next when? Just Saturday, you're right. I'm just quizzing you all, making sure you're ready. Uh, so next Saturday at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock, same service, candlelit service. You can come to either one that works best for you. Uh, you can also tune in online if that helps you. And so 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve, we'd love to invite you to be a part of that with us. So if you're here in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand up. If you're at home, you can stand up if you want, but we can't see you. So... Uh, we always start by praying for the Church of the Week, and tonight is Tucson Central Church of the Nazarene and Pastor Curtis, uh, and so we are praying for the Church of the Week uh, every week because we know we've got a million plus people uh, in southern Arizona that aren't connected in any faith community, and we're not the only church that can reach them. We want to see God's church thrive here in our beautiful city, so let's pray for them and for our time together tonight. Again, thrilled to have you here. Uh, look at your neighbor and just say, hey, glad you're here, glad you're here, so... All right, let's open in a word of prayer. So, Father, we pray for Tucson Central Church and Nazarene, Pastor Curtis, their team. We ask for your best blessings over them, that you continue to resource them, provide wisdom and leadership and discernment for them in the, in the task that you have. We pray for your time uh, in, in mingling with us tonight. God, as we continue to lean into Christmas, as we sing your praises, Jesus. We want to, to continue to lean into this beautiful gift that is your presence with us. So we even pause just to kind of gather ourselves and to, to realize again that you are God with us. You're with us in the highs of the highs. You're with us in the lows of the lows. Father, you're with us in every challenge that we face. You're with us in the excitement that life can bring. And everything in between, 
We never traverse a moment, a day, a week without you. And so we just want to lean into your presence tonight. We want to worship you. We want to give you the praise that you deserve. For you're such a good God to us. Father, maybe there's the folks that are watching online or even here in the room who have taken the courage to come. And maybe they're kind of on their own spiritual journey. I pray that you just allow yourself to be known as real, relevant, and close tonight. Father, for each heart here, would you whisper something fresh and anew to us as we worship you. Give our attention in your direction. Pray your best blessing over our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
solemn stillness lay to hear the angel's song to
that you came to be with us, Emmanuel. We just love you so much, and we know where this story goes, Lord. But tonight, we just celebrate and prepare for your coming. And Lord, I just ask that you fully fill this room with your presence, Lord. Be with us. Move in our hearts. Let us feel you. Uh, in this room so thick, Lord, that it's undeniable. I ask that you anoint Pastor Jack uh, just with a special anointing tonight, especially because it's his birthday, Lord, and we do celebrate him, and we are so thankful uh, that he came on this date. So, Lord, we just ask that you move through us and prepare us uh, as we celebrate your birthday uh, next week, and we are so thankful. In your precious name we pray. Amen. That was a beautiful amen to that prayer. So um, it reminded me a few minutes before you all got here, one of uh, Matt, one of our awesome staffers, our ministry assistant, walks in with his little daughter, Parker, and I yell, hi, Parker. And she says, hi, Jack. And then five minutes later, I told Matt hello. Um, and it's just this beautiful invitation that... Um, I just, I love kids, and uh, I think it's cool in these moments to uh, to think about the significance of this season through their eyes and, and what that means, and I think sometimes it's easy for us who have been uh, around the sun a few times to uh, to think about the reality of Christmas, and, and sometimes it can get washed away in just the familiarity of things, that as you kind of go through Christmas after Christmas, and it can become diluted in a way. But I think just to challenge you and invite you to see it through kids' eyes again. And maybe even as we look into the Christmas story again tonight, to, to kind of come with a childlike wonder. Uh, and, and to see the beauty of what Christmas is really demonstrating and, and challenging and calling us to receive uh, and to enjoy and to unwrap even for ourselves. And so last week we looked at the, the light of God that was on display in, in the life of Jesus. And, and tonight I want to look at the presence of God. Uh, and, and not just presence, uh, like how many of you are still hunting for the few last presents, T.S.? Yes, uh, but here's the invitation this Christmas is to recognize that presence, your presence with someone, actually is greater than presence. Now, presence are nice, okay? Can we all get an amen for that? Presence, unwrapping something, beautiful. Uh, in fact, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It, I told you it was my birthday. Someone just gave me my first pair of Air Jordans. I've never owned a pair of Air Jordans. And, like, my friends said, hey, you know, you got graduation, you got wedding, you got all this stuff going on. Here's something for you. And I unwrapped it gleefully, like, like a little schoolgirl almost, like, excited to open up this. And, and, like, so presents are nice, and it's a good thing, and it's a beautiful thing. And I hope you get some wonderful stuff, and I hope you're able to give some things, because it really does bring delight. But in, in, it's also this recognition that it's presence. It's the presence of people in our lives that means so much. I think uh, partly maybe a reflective day for me of just realizing uh, being at my daughter's college graduation a couple nights ago and, uh, and just realizing, hey, you know, I'm so proud of her and her accomplishments, but just the beauty of having the family together. Uh, the beauty of having moments. My son's getting married this week. Like, this is party palooza week for the Shoal household. So, like, we have a lot going on 
And uh, it's exciting times. And, and to me, it's the gift of all those things, but it's the presence of just being with people and being able to just savor those moments and to savor those highlights and to enjoy that, to unwrap those moments together, all the laughters, all the little stressful little conversations and moments that happen. But it's just the presence of being with that means so much. In fact, I want you to think back over your life. Um, and, and maybe you can think back into, okay, maybe a great present that someone gave you and you can go, gosh, that's really cool. And, and you remember that. Maybe it was a trip. Maybe it was a gift, whatever that might be. Uh, but my hunch is, as you reflect back over your life, it's, it's the people's presence in your life that maybe has even greater significance, that even holds more weight and is more beautiful in, in what you understand and, and what you hold dear that um, as cool as Air Jordans are 10 years from now, the reality is I probably won't have them. But I won't ever miss those moments of the people who have shared life with me and that I've got to journey through the ups and downs of life with. And so I just want us to lean back into that first Christmas, maybe uh, just prayerfully saying, God, would you help me see it? through this childlike wonder again, uh, as we look at the presence of God in Christmas. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. If you have uh, your Bible, you can go there, Matthew chapter 1, the last part of Matthew chapter 1, uh, or you can open up the church app and uh, go down to sermon notes, and you can follow along there if, if that uh, floats your boat and you want to do that, uh, so feel free. But we're going to look at this story, and, and it's interesting. I want you to picture a nativity scene in your mind. How many of you have a nativity scene at your home that maybe you put out, maybe it's cartoonish nativity scene, maybe it's like the figurine nativity scene, I don't know. How many of you have a nativity scene that's like 20 years old or older, okay, that you put out like every year, okay, uh, for that? I think ours is, I would say ours is like that. Uh, anyone have like an interesting nativity scene? Anyone have like one of those giant silhouettes that you put maybe in your front yard? Uh, with that. I, I walk every morning and I see some people that have some of those out. Uh, but maybe I just want you to picture the nativity scene in your mind. I want you to think about some of the characters that are in that nativity scene. You, you think back to, there's some popular ones, uh, like Mary, okay, you, you can't really have the nativity scene without Mary. And so like, she is instantly there and, and, and you kind of picture her, baby Jesus, like seriously, it doesn't happen without him. And so like, you think about him, maybe you think about the shepherds uh, and, and uh, the sheep or, and uh, I don't know, goats, cows, like there's debate on, I, I don't know. Uh, so like with this idea of everything, maybe the animals that were there, maybe yours has the wise men. Listen, let's be honest. The wise men weren't there, okay? It's two years later when we read about that. So, like, if your nativity scene has that, it's not wrong. It just wasn't real. Okay, but, like, just this idea that you can still have it. Um, but, like, it's still a good thing. But, like, the nativity scene, there's lots of stuff there. But here's the interesting thing. Have you ever thought about Joseph in the nativity scene? Like, if you think about Joseph, okay, he was there. We know that. You know what's interesting in the, the scripture accounts of the whole Christmas story and really all of Joseph's life? He doesn't have one recorded word in the scripture. Do you ever think about that? Like, there's no recorded conversation with, with Joseph uh, in, in, in the scriptures that we see. Like, Mary has a whole song that uh, we can unfold. We have the conversation with the angel. We have an interaction with an angel and Joseph, but there's no conversation that takes place in that. 
Joseph doesn't have recorded words that we can read. And maybe there's uh, something in your mind that goes, okay, well, I'd like to know. Okay, we know he's a carpenter, um, and, and so we know that. Uh, we don't know exactly how long he was in the story because we don't really know. Uh, and so there's a lot of interesting kind of nebulous things about Joseph. It's interesting to me when you read Matthew chapter 1, this interaction that happens, uh, we come to understand that maybe Joseph's non-contribution is the very thing maybe God wants us to remember. Uh, maybe I'd say it like this. His diminished involvement encapsulates a central tenet of the gospel. Salvation belongs to God and God alone. Think about it. Joseph's story reminds us that we are not the orchestrators of our own rescue. The angel didn't show up in Joseph's dream to calm his nerves about taking Mary as his wife because that's the struggle he's having in the moment is my fiance is pregnant and I know I'm not it. Uh, and so like I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. In fact, we read in tonight's account that he had in his heart to divorce her privately. He was a good man. He wanted to honor her and not dishonor her because in a culture of honor shame, uh, this very well could have gone sideways in that and yet, here's uh, the angel didn't show up to Joseph and say, here's what God wants, so now go make it happen. The angel shows up to Joseph and says, hey, here's what God has made happen, and here's how you can be invited into the truth. It had nothing to do with Joseph. There isn't an interaction, there isn't a dialogue here, there wasn't an invitation to say, okay, here's God's part, now Joseph, you go do this part. Nope. It was, here's what God's doing, you can, you're invited in if you want. Maybe one of the central tenets of the gospel is, here's what God did. Do you believe? It's not, here's what God did, and now here's your part to do. We're invited into the story, but the salvation story is not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon my participation. It's an invitation to actually say yes to the story of what God has done. Joseph is silent. There's only one word that's attributed to him as a quoted thing or quoted reality. We'll see it here. But it's not even a recorded stated statement that we see in the scriptures. So here's how Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25 unfolds. We'll read it together. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. So this is after the whole first part of Matthew chapter 1. If you want to go back, in fact, if you ever struggle with sleeping, just go back and start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and read through verses 17. I promise you, you will fall asleep. Uh, because it's just the lineage of, of Jesus, the lineage of the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, and the lineage all the way back proving that he really was through the line of David, through the line of Abraham, through the line of, uh, of Adam. And so you actually begin to see this in so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and so-and-so begot, like yeah, it's instant uh, insomnia curious. So the idea, so we get to verse 18, then here's how the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, uh, we, we know that one, that's kind of familiar, that's the angel showing up in the field. This one may be a little bit less familiar, and here's where it gets to. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Now, son of David is here in parentheses. It's a reminder that the Messiah is coming through the line of David because God said to David, you will have someone who sits on the throne forever. And so again, this is Matthew writing the gospel account saying, look, Jesus really is the anointed one, the Messiah to come. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, the angel says to him, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall give birth to a son, and you are to name him what? Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer. Yeah, you're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah so many hundreds and hundreds of years before, Isaiah 7.14. You can read it. It says this, see, the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married Mary, but did not have sexual relation with her until she gave birth to her son, and he named him Jesus. Now, it's interesting. That's the only kind of conversation we see uh, often in scripture from Joseph in this, and it's not even a stated statement. It's an inferred statement because as the patriarch of his family, his duty was to name the children. Uh, That was what fell to him in his lineage to do that. And so this one word that's tied to Joseph and the only script that we see is the name Jesus. He's allowed to give the baby's name. He alone has that honor. He is Jesus. He is the God who saves. That's what it means in in Hebrew, this understanding that God is the one who saves. Matthew links this name to Isaiah's prophecy in, in chapter 7, verse 14, identifying the Messiah as Emmanuel. So not only the God who saves, but the God who is with us. Jesus and Emmanuel are virtually interchangeable names. And what we see for Joseph assigning this name was more than just following orders. It was a declaration that the man who says nothing in scripture speaks very loudly right here in the giving of the name. It's in his helplessness when this world went sideways, Joseph's response is Jesus, God, saves. And what you begin to understand after Jesus is born, and then Herod kind of goes on this spree after the wise men do show up, and he begins to take out all the children who are three years or younger in this region of the town because he doesn't want to have a competing king, because when you're the king of Rome, you don't want to have a competition. And so he sets forth to do this genocide type thing, and the angel shows back up again to Joseph and says, flee with your family, and they flee, which is also another prophecy fulfilled. And then later on, they end up coming back to Nazareth and to Galilee. And so all this begins to play out. You can read all about this, but this reality that we just don't see Joseph's words recorded in Scripture, except this one word that's inferred that he names him Jesus which is what the angel said. This is the name you're to give him. In in Joseph, we see our own smallness, and we remember that salvation belongs to the Savior who came, the Savior who is God with us, and the Savior who is God with us forever. And that's what you begin to see play out in the Gospel of Matthew. See, it's in God's presence that makes our salvation possible. Without Jesus showing up and being present 
with us and his presence being with us, we have no shot. It isn't that God ever set forth a list of things and said, okay, if you do these things, it'll get uh, and you'll work your way to a right relationship with me. That's what religion kind of lays out. But see, Christianity is not religion per se. It's not a set of philosophies that say this is what you need to do in order to get right with God. It's a story of God setting things right so that you and I can be right and be made right with him. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about your story. It's not about your voice. And, and, and if we're just honest, <laughs> against the backdrop of the world in which we live and kind of how we're wired in our culture and the nuance of what's pushed out for, for you and me, which is in, in a lot of ways is really good, that your life is what you can make it, and there's a lot of truth to that. That you have a voice and you should use it, and there's a lot of truth to that. The gospel continually has this undercurrent of, it's not about you. It's not about your voice. It's not about your story. It's about God's story. And you may not even have a speaking part in it, but your part matters, and your part was significant, and your part matters enough to God that he actually showed up into your life because he cares about you and he loves you. But he's inviting you into his story. And you can have your story. But if you get caught up chasing your story alone, then you're building a kingdom that really is a house of cards. Because it won't last. And maybe God's continual whisper is, would you build into the story that I'm writing? Would you build into the life that I want to give you? In this one passage, we begin to see a couple stark realities and truths that we see in this passage. We discover that this child is unlike any other child ever born. He's given two titles here. You're to give him the name Jesus. He is a God who is for us. Who is this child? He's a God who's for us. You shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. The Hebrew name translated in Greek is this idea of Yeshua. Uh, and Yeshua is the same idea of Savior, and that he's the one that is the Savior. Think of it this way. Uh, how do you know for certain if someone is really for you? Think about your life. How do you know if someone is actually for you? My hunch is, somewhere back in the timeline of interacting with the people around you, you can think about your relationships, and you know someone is for you when you see them willingly sacrifice for you. That they sacrifice maybe some of their time or their talent, their treasure, their investment for you. They actually care for you more than just words. They actually do something for you. Uh, what you look for is their eagerness to make a sacrifice to meet your deepest needs, even when you, maybe you don't deserve it, or maybe even especially when you don't deserve it. Have you ever known someone like this? Uh, maybe it's a friend, a family member, you experience them reaching out to help you, and because you know maybe what you've done, you know that maybe you don't even deserve that help, but they continue to reach out to help you. That's when you know someone is for you. You shall name him Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. God's declaring in this moment, in the story of Christmas, that he is for you. Now, for some of you, you may have an inkling of uh, an imagination or an image of God that uh, God is anything but for you. He, he might even be against you. 
uh, and you may have an adage through some of the situations or stories or experiences you've had in life that where you just kind of sense, man, I feel like God's out to get me. Or I feel like things just unfold in a way that it's never right. And you feel like kind of the eight balls kind of put against your life in that way. And what the scriptures are always saying through Christmas story is that we don't serve a God like that. We don't serve a God who's vindictive in that way. We do serve a holy God. And there are consequences to our actions. We all know that. Uh, there are uh, benefits of you reap what you sow, and so there's tie back to that. And God will allow some of that to play out, but we see in the grace of God, in the story of Christmas, a God who is actually for you and for your best and for your good, always seeking to be a part um, with you. Here is a God in himself, in the grandeur and the bigness of his divinity. He's willing to become small because he wants people to know that he's for them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who was imprisoned for his part of opposition against Hitler in World War II. And he's writing from his prison cell uh, one of the best experiences as he goes through the Advent season, goes through the Christmas season. Here's what he writes. Here I am trapped inside my cell, and my only hope is for someone to come from the outside to rescue me. There's nothing I can do to get myself out. I need a rescuer. And it's in that realization that Christmas became more real for him. In the reality of the moment of what he was living and what he was suffering in that moment, the reality hit him. This is what Christmas is all about. The Savior's presence coming from the outside into my world to be my rescuer. It's exactly what God did in Jesus that he came to rescue us from the enslaving, imprisoning, and separating power and problem of sin that keeps us separated from a perfect and holy God, that he will save the people from their sins. Jesus came to deliver you and to deliver me from the very thing that causes us to doubt God's goodness at times, to turn away from him at times. He came to deliver us from the sin that causes us to say, God, I don't need you. And the reality is, God knew that you did, and he knew that I did. And he didn't wait for me to get my act together. He didn't wait for me to come to a realization of that. He just stepped into my story, and he's inviting me into his. The same with you. The message of Christmas is that there is a cure for what ails you, and Jesus is that cure. If you're ever going to understand the message and the meaning of Christmas, then you need to understand the mission of Jesus. He came to save us from our sins, to reconcile us to a holy God. Jesus is God's rescue for the broken and for the sinner. Why? Because Jesus is for you. God is for you. And he took things into his own hands. If you've ever kind of been around popular Christmas stories, some of you have watched Christmas movies maybe in the past week or you plan to in this coming week, you plan to kind of put some movies on the thing. Maybe you think of um, some Christmas stories that have a way of turning things around. A foggy storm is what turns Rudolph's liability into an asset. The unexpected people, uh, a visit of people from the past, turns Scrooge into a generous man. The unexpected joyful hearts of Whoville creatures change the heart of the Grinch. 
to actually finally love Christmas and for his heart to grow. Is it three sizes? I can't remember the poem. Okay, three sizes. Okay, we got it. All these stories have a way of, of, of turning in the greatest story ever told, the truest story ever told, that God is not against you. God is actually for you, and he's for your best. And that's what we see on display in the message and the hope of Christmas. This truth is meant to bring an incredible reality an incredible shot of courage into your life and into my life. This is the truth that calls us to endure the hard times of life that we all navigate, and to understand maybe what the Apostle Paul said, hey, if, if God is for me, then who can be against me? Like, if God's on my side, then no matter what challenges face me, I never face them alone. And I, I face them from a continued perspective that God is for me and he's for my good, and he's for my best. All hell could break loose in life, but because I know that God is for me, I know that he will work things together for the good. This is Romans chapter 8. I think one of the most precious chapters in all of the scripture. If you're ever struggling, feeling like, man, I feel like God's against me, can I just encourage you to read Romans 8? and to meditate on that, to think about the truths that are in here. This declaration of Christmas, this declaration that we see in the apostles, that in all the, the writings of the New Testament, and, and really clearly in Romans chapter 8, God is not against you, friend. God is actually for you, and he's for your best. The God of the Bible is a God of joy and gladness, a giver and a source of all good things, the scripture says. Every good gift comes from him. It was Jesus who said uh, that I have come, that you may have life and that you may have it half-heartedly. Did he say that? No, he didn't say that. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it sort of. Did he say that? No. John 10.10. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. I'm for you. I'm not against you. He may be against some of your choices because he knows that's actually not for your good. But he's for you, and he's for me. The abundant life that Jesus talks about is not found in the abundance of possessions. It's found in the abundance of joy of knowing that the God of heaven is for you. That if you're here and you're exploring the claims of Christianity, you need to know <clears throat> that one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from all other religious systems of the world, every other religious system or spiritual philosophy, says somehow you've got to pay the price to get to God. You've got to do the work to work your way to God. And what Christianity declares is there is an amount of work that you could do to do that. So he went first, and he went most. That's what Christmas is about. That the, the, the sustainer, the creator of all things went first and said, I will make a way. I'm not going to give you a plan for you to try to make a way because I know you're going to fall way short. So I will make a way. And I'm going to invite you into this story. Only in Christianity do we hear that God did everything to pay the price for him to be for you and to be with you. 
That's the beauty of what we see in this passage. You will call him Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. And he quotes back to Isaiah 7.14 that he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 22 is this idea of understanding that Christmas is not the beginning of the story. Christmas is really the middle of the story. Christmas is the moment where all of God's promises for once and for all reunite with his people, finally begin to find their fulfillment in Jesus. Not in your hopes, not in your achievements, not in your accomplishments, not in mine either, but in Jesus. All of that begins to take shape. See, Christmas is not just about the rescue. He'll save us from our sins. It's about a reunion. It's about a reunion that God is working and beginning to invite people to come to the reunion, a way back into relationship with God. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis. Adam and Eve have sinned. Uh, they are hiding from God. And who's the one that seeks them out? It's God. God went seeking for the people who broke things and said, I will have to make a way to be there. The whole purpose of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament was to communicate that the above us God, the God who is above everything, longs to be a God who is with us, in the midst of us. That I get to traverse all of life with God. All of God's heart and desire is to be reunited with his people. Jesus Christ came into this world to be God with you, with me. Think about that reality. Now, fast forward to March, because in Christmas, it's easy to think about that. But in March, it's easy to forget that. In August, it's easy to forget that. In October, it's easy to forget that, that Jesus is actually still with me, not just at Christmas time. It was scholar Dale Bruner who pointed out this in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. The very beginning of Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, Jesus is given the title, God with us. Then you fast forward to the end of the gospel, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. It was Jesus who proclaimed the God with you promise, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So the beginning of the gospel account of Matthew, God with us, and then Jesus bookends that at the very end of the gospel. And I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. One of the sweetest things about the doctrine of the incarnation, God with us, teaches us this incredible understanding, as C.S. Lewis put it, the earth is truly a visited planet. God with us. He showed up. He's not a distant God who yells things from far away. He's an involved God who showed up in the midst. God not only is deeply concerned about your life, he wants to be involved in your life. He knows what it's like to suffer just as you do. This doctrine plays out in incredibly, um, incredibly sympathetic and, and understanding kind of ways. Uh, have you ever shed tears? Jesus wept. He did too. Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend? Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. 
Have you ever felt alone or forsaken or abandoned? Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Have you ever faced temptation? So has he. Have you ever faced poverty? So has he. Have you ever faced challenges and trials of various kinds? So has he. Why? Because he's a God who's with us. Not distant and removed and far away, but one who is actually with. In Christianity, you and I discovered that God who truly understands you, because he is not just a God who is for you, but he has come to be a God who is with you. See, logic 101 is this idea that if, if Jesus is God, then you cannot avoid Jesus and get to God. If Jesus is God, then you can't avoid Jesus to get to God. You have to go through Jesus to get to God, which is the gospel. What child is this? This is a child who is for you because this is a Savior who is for you. This child grew up, and he went to a cross to declare to you, I am for you. And I'm not trying to make you make your way to me. I actually made my way to you. And I'm a God who is with you. I'm Emmanuel. And I'm with you on a Monday, and I'm with you on a Wednesday night, and I'm with you on a Friday night, and a Saturday morning. I'm with you on a Sunday night at 5.53. I'm with you. And whatever unfolds in your life, I'm with you. I am with you forever and always. The beginning part of Matthew, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus at the very end of this gospel book, and behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This divine promise. See, Christmas preaches us this truth. Because of Jesus, every day is a with God day. Every hour is a with God hour. Every moment is a with God moment. You and I will never walk a season, a moment, a challenge, a scenario, a situation alone again if you believe in Jesus. That's the declaration of Christmas, that he is Jesus, the one who saves, and he is Emmanuel, the one who is with you in all that you have to traverse. God is with you. God is for you. And that never changes. See, the invitation at Christmas is for you and I to not only recognize that, but to be reminded of that, to be re-anchored to that truth and that reality. And so here's the invitation tonight. Real simple. Uh, the worship team, I invite them to, to come back up. We're going to close with a song here, uh, singing about Emmanuel, singing about this God who is with us. Uh, but I just want to create maybe a little pocket of space, a little pocket of a moment for you. I don't know what challenges you have facing you right now. I, I, know, I don't know what uh, scenarios are unfolding around you. But I'm going to invite you in a moment just to, to make a simple prayer of this declaration. God, if Christmas is true, then you are a God who is for me and you're for my good. And you're a God who is with me. And you're with me no matter what's unfolding around me. 
And so I just want to create maybe 60 seconds, a pause, if you will. We all live life at warp speed, and sometimes it's nice to hit pause. And so I just invite you to hit pause today for a minute and say, God, I just want to invite you in again. And maybe this is just me reminding myself that you are a God who's for me and that you are a God who is with me. And so in these next 60 seconds, here's the invitation. Maybe you just want to lay out to God, hey, here's the scenario I'm facing. Would you just remind me of your presence? If you want to give presence with a T, great, I'd love it, I'll unwrap it. But would you just remind me of your presence that you are for me and that you're with me? If there's a challenging situation that you're facing, would you just invite him in? God, would you help me to see your activity? Would you help me to see your presence, to feel your presence, to sense your presence, that you're God who is for me and a God who is with me? And so I'm just going to be quiet for a minute, and then I'll close us in prayer. But I just invite you right here where you're at to bow your heads. Uh, If you're at home, just to hit pause and, and to take a moment and invite the God who is for you, the God who is with you, the one who saves and who has saved you and who continually wants to save you, the one who wants to announce his presence to be with you. So Father, we give this next minute to you. Would you hear these prayers? Would you hear these stories as we invite you in? and helps you, maybe you just have some open hands to God as a a posture signaling, God, I'm inviting you in. Father, you declared that first Christmas that you are a God who is for us, that you are mighty to save. You're Jesus. So, Father, for many of us, we have put our trust in you. You have saved us from our sins. We are forever grateful. But maybe there's even folks here online tonight that that need to sense your saving power again. Your activity to intervene in a way that only you can. Your presence to be on display in our lives. Intervening on our behalf. 
Father, may your presence, the fact that you are Emmanuel, the God who is with us, you're with us in the good times and the challenging, and every moment in between. Father, there's some here or online that have been praying, God, seeking and needing to know again that you are who you say you are. You're Emmanuel. You're God with us in this moment that they face. So Holy Spirit, we need a fresh wind from you. We invite you again. That the declaration that you made that first Christmas would be the declaration over each life here this Christmas. You are the God who is for us. You are the God who is with us. So for my brothers and sisters here, I'm asking, Father, would your intervention, would your presence, would your power be on display for them to see, for their soul to have a new, fresh wind into it of your activity, your truth, your heart, your favor, your presence. Emmanuel, as we sing to you in this moment, we pray that even during this song, we would be reminded and re-anchored again that you are for us and you are with us.
Well, we hope it's been a great night of worship for you uh, and time together. So just a few announcements before we go. First of all, if you're one of our, our partners who uh, give financially, we just want to thank you for that. Uh, it means so much that you allow us to do the day-to-day -day business. And so if you're new and you're curious, how can I give? Um, we've got some metal boxes in the back that's conveniently labeled the box, and you can just drop tithes and offerings in there. You can also do that through the app. Uh, that's where most people give is online. So we've got that. Uh, a couple of things coming up we want you to know about next Saturday is Christmas Eve. How about that? Christmas Eve already. So we're going to be doing two services here that we're partnering with Emmanuel. Uh, so 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Pick whichever one you want to come to. They're both going to be the same. We're going to have a snow globe out there. So if you're coming as a family, uh, it's like this life-size thing that uh, you can step inside and take pictures in. So look at that. Next year's Christmas card already for you. Too much change happens. I get it. If you've got little ones, that doesn't work. I get it. But, um, yeah, so Christmas Eve is coming up. Also, next uh, year is right around the corner. So as the new year begins, we're going to be doing Financial Peace University. So for some of you, uh, if you've never been through that course, but you're like, man, I would love to learn how to budget and actually save money in the midst of inflation. That seems like a real thing. So. Uh, sign up for that. We're doing a, a course uh, that is going to be led, I believe, Mike Metropolis, right? You're going to be taking that one on. Uh, am I getting that right? I don't see anybody. Yes, there's the thumbs up. Sweet. Batten two for two, Karen. We've got it. We've got it. And then, uh, lastly, it's Jack's birthday. How cool is that? 
How cool is that? And he got Jordans, folks, which means he is on his way to finally fulfilling his dream of making it to the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. So we're right there. Maybe if one of you knows somebody who's got like a really nice Rolex, we can like kind of time it so that we can make sure we get him on there. But it's actually, it's gonna be a great week of celebration. It's his birthday today. It's Anya's birthday tomorrow. Jack's wife, Amy. Amy, pop your head in there. There she is. Amy's the lovely one at the Next Steps table. Her birthday's on Tuesday, as is Jen's, who is our eKids director. So I think it is appropriate for once for us to sing happy birthday as we end the service. Is that okay? Let's do that. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jack and Anya and Amy and Jen. Happy birthday to you. All right. All right. So nice. There so it is. Nice. January 1st, we've got a worship night coming up. Join us for that. 10-minute parties in the back. And tonight's dinner is at El Taco Tote. Why? Because we care about fitness. Fitness tacos into our mouths. That's what we care about. Ayo. Taco Tote out on Craycroft and Speedway. Did I get that right? Wilmot and Speedway. Yep. Speedway Wilmot and Wilmot. Speedway. There you go.